My family is in SoCal, and so this morning I took some time to call my dad. And, you know, it really means a lot when, you know, your kid who has moved away from home to, to go home and call. And so I encourage you, if, you're, if, you're not, if your dad is not around here, um, give him a call. But this is a picture of me and my dad when we were little. I know, it's pretty cute, right? <laughs> some people say, actually, that I look the most like my dad, um, Something about maybe having the same nose or something. But I know both of us were actually the same in that we're, we're both pretty stubborn. But when I, when I think about my dad, I think about how much he truly has loved our family well over the years. He was the dad who worked so hard and long, long hours to provide for our family and to make sure that we had food on the table to give us kids a good life. When we were young kids, we always asked him to, to make up uh, stories for us at bedtime. I don't know if you guys have experienced that. And, and so, you know, in the spur of the moment, he made up this character, Fumu the Farting Tiger. And I don't know if that's inappropriate, but we just thought it was the most funny thing. We would just laugh and laugh. And over the course of our childhood, right, there was different installments, right? Like Fumu goes to the swimming pool or... Fumu was lactose intolerant, right? Fumu was like an Asian tiger, you know? So we just, we just thought it was the most hilarious thing. And we would get close to him in his bed and ask for more stories. My dad loved me so much that he came up to visit me not too long ago. Maybe you guys saw him. They visited our church. And when, when he came here, he actually let me know the day before he got on that flight, he actually was suffering from a gout attack, and he was in so much pain, and yet he was like, but I still wanted to come up and see you, you know. He, he made it through all the pain. It didn't matter. He just wanted to be here. I have experienced my dad's love for me in many ways, but what I remember is not how many times he verbally said, I love you, though he does. What I remembered was what he did to show me that he loved me, and maybe you can think of the same for yourself. Today, when we think of our amazing earthly fathers, and they are, even more we look to God, our heavenly father, who has shown us the greatest expression of love of all time. And that's what today's message is all about. It's all about love. As Gordon was reading uh, earlier, John begins the third chapter of 1 John with this. See what great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. For those who believe in Jesus, he has made a way for us to become children of God, adopted into his family, where we can actually call him dad, you know, invited into that true fellowship with him because of what he has done on the cross and the love that he has shown us. And today we're going to see even more what that means practically in our lives. Now, a quick recap from last week. Uh, last week, we learned that the experience of fellowship begins with knowing that God is light, right? That God is holy and righteous and perfect, and he has revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. And the evidence of fellowship is found in walking in the light, right? We talked about confession. We talked about how God is faithful to forgive. We talked about walking in the way of Jesus and how your life matters, because that's the fruit of the fellowship. And today we're going to continue with this concept of fellowship with God, but from a slightly different angle. 
Now in these next few chapters, John begins to introduce the topic of love. And he's gonna show us that true fellowship is knowing God's love and loving one another. Simple. Knowing God's love and loving one another. Now connecting our, our topic from last week, his main idea this week is that walking in the light or walking in the way of Jesus is also choosing to walk in love or living a life of love. And then on the other hand, walking in darkness, right, is the opposite of that, living a life without love or living a life of hate. If we pick it up where we left off last week, John says this, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. So again, this contrast between light and dark, love and hate. He really likes kind of those black and white themes, right? And so today we're gonna see very practically that to walk in the light is to walk in love and to live a life of love in his name. Now, as human beings, you guys can all probably agree and say, you know, that love is an important thing, right? We all want to love and be loved. It's something that we value and we need. But in our culture today, would you say it's true that we usually think of love as a feeling or an emotion? Something, we we like to say, I love you when we feel good inside, right? When we have the butterflies. Like, do you remember dating back in the day (laughs) and saying I love you for the first time, right? It was all feeling, if we're honest. It was all gushy and honeymoon phase, right? Or maybe we're very loose with the word love. We say I love in and out or I love Bova or I love Hawaii, right? (laughs) We say those things because they evoke a feel-good emotion within us. It makes us feel good. You know, in reality, the Bible says love is more than a feeling. Love is a verb. It's a choice. It's an action. That's, what, that's why we have that passage, right, in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast, etc., etc. So you see that biblical love, Christian love, is something more than just feelings. There's action behind it. And in chapter 3 of 1 John, John clearly defines it for us. He gives us the the perfect example of what this looks like. He says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now imagine if John said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus felt good feelings towards us. Right, no, that's, that's not what love is. John goes straight to the cross And he says, the greatest expression of love in all of history, in all of time, is what Jesus Christ showed you and me when he gave his life on the cross. That's how we know what love is. And we see it right here. It's it's not just sentimental words. It's not just a feeling. It's, It's action. Real love involves sacrifice. It may start off with feelings, but it always moves towards or action for the good of another person. It's what the Bible distinguishes as agape love. 
right? The concept of self-giving love, a love that gives without demanding or expecting anything in return. It's selfless. It's unconditional. And here, just as Jesus did that for us, John says, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now remember, he's talking to believers here in this book. He's talking to the family of God, those who are in fellowship with each other in Christ. And he's saying, in the same way Jesus sacrificed himself for you, using him as the perfect example, we should be sacrificing and giving up ourselves for other people. Now what does that look like? Does that mean that we literally should die for our brothers and sisters? I don't know, maybe, right? But I... John kind of explains it a little bit more in verse 17. He says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So John is saying, if you're, if you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, and you see a fellow believer in the church, let's say, in need, and they're struggling, and you have no pity, no concern, no love for them, you close your heart off to them and refuse to help them, though you have the means to, how can God's love be in you? Right? He puts it very, very bluntly. He says, if you refuse to love others, the love of God is not in you. In another part of the book, he says, if you love God and yet, if you say you love God and yet you hate a brother or sister, you're a liar, you're a murderer. It's not possible to be in fellowship with God and yet hate or withhold love from someone in the body of Christ. Now, I know that sometimes you may want to help someone, right, but you just don't have the physical means to, the resources to give, and that's okay. That's, that's not what John is talking about here. And in, in that situation in particular, there are still ways you can love others. You know, maybe it is through prayer, Maybe it's through checking in through the week, or maybe you can't fix their problem, but you can listen to them, and you make sure that they know that they're not alone. That still shows that you have the love of God within you, that you have compassion and care for them in your heart. And he closes with the statement. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and the truth. Once again, let your love be more than a feeling more than just empty words. Let us love in action and in truth because the evidence is found in how you love. So love others by laying down your life for them just as Christ laid down his life for you, putting the needs of others above yourself. Right, Philippians 2, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Care more about other people than you care about yourself, very practically speaking. Because true fellowship is knowing God's love and choosing, actively choosing to love one another. Now, if we keep reading in 1 John, this theme of love comes around again and again. It's, it's like John's favorite thing to talk about, it's love. And in chapter 4, he brings it up again, but from a, a different angle. Starting in verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So we see here once again, right, that John is saying love one another. 
And in different translations, you know, you see actually instead of dear friends, it says beloved, let us love. And so you see in, in the Greek, it actually says those who are loved, let us love. It's from this place of having known God's love yourself that we love other people. And John even drives it further saying people who love have been born of God. They know God. They're part of God's family because that's the marker for if you have true fellowship with God. And here we see another big statement that John makes about God. Last week we had God is light. This week we see that God is love and love comes from God. Now what does it mean that God is love? God is love does not just mean that God is loving, right? though that is true. He's not just describing one of God's personality traits. John is saying that love is God's very essence. It's in his nature. It's who he is at his core. God is the source and definition of love. So love is not just one of his many activities. It's who he is. Everything he does is loaded with love. And because he is love, he can do nothing without love. When he speaks, when he creates, when he moves, when he disciplines or teaches us, it's in love because God is love. Now, just as we read in chapter three of Jesus, the son, laying down his life for us, here we see love from the lens of God, the father as well. Verse nine. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John's saying this is how the father has showed his love for us. He sent his his own son, his only son, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Right? God loved so much that he gave, he sacrificed, he showed his love in action and truth. Right? What kind of God would do something like that? Who would be willing to give up his own son for us? Can you imagine how hard that must have been for the father? To watch your child be beaten, mocked, accused, who was crucified so we could be saved died for us while we were still sinners. And not when we realized our sin and turned and repented, not when we tried to be better, not when we loved him first, but who died for us while we were still sinners, enemies of God. What kind of God is that? It's a God of love. It's a God who loves you and me so radically and unconditionally and sacrificially, that he would go to that length so that we could live through him and have fellowship with him. You see, like it says, it's not that we loved God first, it's that he first loved us. Keep going in verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now it says here, no one has ever seen God, right? Why? Because God is, is holy. He's glorious, majestic. He is other, you know? 
you think back to the Old Testament, right? Where Moses, he really wanted to see God's face. He really wanted to see God's glory. And God told Moses, you can't see my face. No one may see me and live. God is so holy. No one can see him. But that's why we needed Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus, right? God made himself visible, revealed himself to us through Jesus. And only Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, who has seen the Father, can show us who God is, can communicate and reveal his glory. Now, the apostles and many of the early believers had the privilege of seeing God in human form, right, through Jesus. And even though Jesus can no longer be seen on earth, John says, people can still see God. People can still see God through you. People can see God through how you love one another, how you treat one another, how you lift each other up and carry one another's burdens, how you lay down your pride, your opinions, your agenda, your selfishness, your needs for the good of another person. People can see God through how you love. Church, we have been the recipients of the greatest love of all, God's love, the greatest expression of love that there's ever been. We've received it. And so not only can we love others, but we ought to. We're called to. We're commanded to. And it says here, that's actually how God's love is is made perfect, right? That's how it's made perfect. It's not that his love was imperfect or impure. It's more of, you know, the sense of completion. It's how God's love is completed and comes to fulfillment and maturity, That happens when we take hold of God's love and it begins to transform our hearts so that we can go and love others just like he first loved us. In other words, God's love wasn't meant to just stop with us. It was always meant to flow out of us into the world. No one has ever seen God, but he will be seen and known when we love one another and choose to live lives of love in his name. And you see, that's actually the greatest evidence of God working in the world, working among us. It's not how big our church is, or how many great events or services we put on. It's not how many people attend, or how good the preaching or the worship is, right? John says it's love. It's how we love one another. That is how God is seen. True fellowship is knowing God's love and choosing to love one another. Now, John is a pretty black and white writer, if you haven't, couldn't see from the last few weeks. He, he's pretty blunt, and he calls things as they are. And that's exactly what he needed to do back then with the local church at the time. Remember, the Gnostics, they were kind of muddying everything up and confusing the believers on what was really the true way to be in fellowship with God. So he had to be clear. But as we read these, these things, and as I read them too, I know that the reality is, is that sometimes loving people is just hard, right? Um, there's a reason why we tend to view love as a feeling. It's, it's because when we love, when we get along with someone, when we enjoy them or like them, it's really easy to love. We, we love when we feel like it, right? 
But the challenge here is that John's saying the mark of a true Christian, the fruit of true fellowship with God is, is love, period. It doesn't have limits or conditions. It doesn't say love those who are nice or, or good or those who do good. It doesn't say when we feel like it or when we think that they deserve it. It just says love. Right? Verse 21 of chapter 4 says, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So then what happens then when, you know, we as believers, we just struggle with love. We struggle with loving someone in the faith who's difficult to love or who has wronged us, maybe hurt us. As I was thinking about that, I, I was thinking, I think to muster up feelings of love, it just, it doesn't work out. <laughs> to be nice on the outside, it just it doesn't work. I don't think in our own strength we can do it. Right? Why? Because I said it here, God is love. Love begins with God and it comes from him. So if that's true, then our only hope to love in this world is to go to God. It's going back to him. Going back to the source of all love and remembering his great love for us. Have I ever shared with you guys a story of my high school bully? Maybe I have, I don't remember. Um, I was taking summer school, going into my freshman year of high school, and I was a very small, very nerdy Asian kid with glasses, and I was in the marching band. So you can tell, I wasn't necessarily the most popular, the coolest person. Um, and I had just come from a small private Christian school and was transitioning into a very large public high school. And I was nervous, I was really nervous. I had watched a lot of like high school movies about, you know, just getting shoved into lockers and I really thought that would happen to me. Um, my fear was, was actually getting bullied. And, and very soon into starting summer school, actually my worst fear came true. Um, there was a boy in my class who for some reason just started picking on me. And it began with, you know, pointing and weird looks or laughing from afar. But then it just got to outright making fun of me. My glasses, my appearance, the fact that I was Asian. Right? He'd make fun of my eyes and, you know, say ching chong. You know, he, he'd get all his friends to laugh at me. He called me some pretty, pretty nasty names that I cannot repeat here. Um, but it was pretty challenging. It was a very hard summer, and my friends, they were really worried about me, and they, they just kept asking me, are you okay, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay, don't do anything, it's fine. But on the inside, I was crushed, and I was angry, and I was frustrated. And I remember praying and being like, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Right? I don't know how I'm going to be nice to this person, to, to love them like you call me to. And I remember thinking, if if it were possible, if I could love this person, it's not going to be for me. It's, it's going to be all you, God, because I physically cannot do it on my own. And one day, uh, I remember he came to class and he didn't bring anything to write with. I don't know why you would go to school without, <laughs> without any pens, but he didn't have anything to write with. So he asked me if he could borrow a pen. I was like, yeah, sure. Here, take my pen. I gave him one. A few days later, he needed $5 to buy a soda from the vending machine. And you know, I pulled out my wallet and I gave it to him. No questions asked. 
I tried my best to be kind and love this person despite how he treated me. And by the end of the summer, I had, I had seen that God had been changing my heart. And he said to me, he came up to me at the last day of summer school and he said, I was so mean to you. I was so bad. Why are you so nice to me? And I simply said, because I was just as bad as you. And Jesus loved me. And he loves you too. And that was it. We parted ways. The normal school year started. Uh, he never recognized me again. And the bullying stopped. And, and we went on with our lives, right? But when I think about that situation, I think there is no way that I could have shown love to this person in my own strength. Really, there's no way. I was angry, and I was bitter, but God was working in my heart, and, and I started to realize that God showed his love and grace and forgiveness to me while I was a sinner, while I was his enemy. So how could I not show love to this person? When you stop trying to do it on your own, when you start looking to Jesus, what God has done for you, it's powerful. It moves you in ways you never thought you could. And guys, this story, right, this is for a non-believer. John here is speaking about love amongst believers, love for your brother and sister in the faith, those people in the church when you look around here. So I don't know if that makes it any easier, right, because we have a common bond in Christ, but I think the solution is still the same. You, you look to God. You look at what he has done for you. When you think about it, we're all kind of like the bully in my story, right? We're all sinful, broken, messed up, and we can be pretty mean sometimes if we're honest. But God lavished his love upon us. But God was rich in mercy. But God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We love because he first loved us and when we remember that, when we remember who we are and what God has done, it gives us the perspective, the humility, and the power through the Holy Spirit to love even the most difficult people. True fellowship is knowing God's love and choosing to love one another. I chose those words in particular, right? Knowing, knowing is experiencing God's love and choosing is making an intentional and active effort to love even when True fellowship is knowing God's love and choosing to love one another. As we close, I want to invite you to reflect on a few things. Number one, have you experienced God's love? Do you know that God loves you? This is where we begin, right? Because I was saying before, if you just try to love people and change our behavior, it really, it won't work. It won't be sustainable. But when you have known God's love yourself firsthand, when you understand that you, you were a sinner and yet God loved you, then things begin to change. If I ask you again, have you experienced God's love? Do you know that he loves you so much that he died for you? Maybe you're sitting here and, and you've forgotten or the gospel story has become old to you because you've been a Christian many years. Maybe today is the first time you've heard this story before. Or maybe you just feel unworthy sometimes of his love for you. I will say this again. God loves you. 
And there is nothing that can separate you from that promise. There is nothing. Romans 8.38 says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. There is no sin too great that Jesus didn't already pay for. There is no past too shameful that he hasn't already wiped clean. There is no mistake that you make now or in the future that can ever separate you from his love. Nothing. Why? Because it's finished. It has been paid for. And there's no taking back the cross because the blood of Jesus has covered your sin and made you clean. There is nothing that can separate you from God's love. And I pray that you would know that and experience Number one, have you experienced God's love? Number two, does your life reflect a life of love towards others? Just take a step back and take an inventory of your life. Does it reflect a life of love, of walking in love? If it doesn't, I invite you to confess that. Right, we talked about confession last week. I invite you to confess that to the Lord and ask for his help and trust that he's faithful to forgive. I think a lot of the time, you know, there's many reasons why it's hard to love people. But when it comes down to it, I think that the main reason why we can't is that we, we tend to be self-focused, um, self-centered, right? And I know that's my problem firsthand. It's hard for me to love when I just am so consumed of myself, right? We don't like to love someone maybe because they hurt us or they made us feel bad or, you know, we avoid people maybe because they make us feel uncomfortable. We want things our way, right? It's, it's often why we see a lot of splits and divisions in, in churches. Our problem is that we're so concerned with ourselves that we can't love. But God calls us to be imitators of his heart, of the God they love, a love that is sacrificial, unselfish, and unconditional, that puts the needs of other people above your own. And so I think one practical way is to just start thinking of ourselves less. And that's a hard thing to do if you really sit down and try to do it. Think of ourselves less. Now ask yourself as we close, is there someone in your life that God is putting on your heart to show love to this week? Is there a brother or sister in the church, in your circles, that is in need around you? Is there someone maybe that you haven't been the most loving to or showing love to? Because maybe not explicitly, like you're, you know, doing bad things to them, but you avoid them or, you know, you harbor bad thoughts in your heart towards them. Is there anyone like that that you need to make contact this week? If someone comes to mind, I invite you to ask for God's help and wisdom on how to love this person well. I can't tell you exactly what that looks like. Every person is, in, is different, right? But I encourage you to, to pray about it and confess anything that's going on inside to remember God's love for you and to ask for his help in loving this person. Because true fellowship is knowing God's love and choosing
Lord, we thank you so much for your great love for us, that you have made a way for us to call you Abba Father, that we are adopted into your family, and that you loved us so much that you went to the cross and sacrificed your own life, that we would be forgiven, that we would be made new, made clean, and that we would have hope and salvation in you. Thank you for the, the greatest example and model of love that we could look to. And I do pray, Lord, that if anyone here has not experienced that or are feeling far from you, that you would remind them of your love for them. And that you would help us to, to walk in love, to, to set aside any pride, any selfishness, any, any of that of ourselves, and to help us to love our brothers and sisters around us. Thank you for being our, our loving Father, our good God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen.